0: Let me ask you now, as we come to the scripture, if you would please to, uh, to bow with me to pray. Father in heaven, we come now to your word. You tell us that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we need that. We know that you have been kind to direct us and this is that direction. You've been kind to lay out a path for us, a path of righteousness. This is that path. And so, Father, help us as we open this scripture today that you would um, help us, that this would be that very light that we need to see where it is you've called us uh, to walk. This, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to Colossians and chapter 3. I only want to read verses 18 and 19 today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, please. If you don't have a Bible, there's some back there. You can slip back and get one. Please bring a Bible. We're a BYOB church. Uh, We don't have pew Bibles. We don't have pews. So if you could uh, bring it, it's helpful. You can even bring those little electronic things. I have no idea how the Bible is on that, but it is. They tell me, I'll believe you. Colossians in chapter 3, please hear the word of God, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, have been working our way through Colossians. ...for a while now, and uh, so I just didn't pick these verses out of the air... ...and say, well, today is this day, talking about wives today, husbands next week. Uh, but it comes in the course of our reading through the Scripture together... course of working our way through the Scriptures. We've been working our way through Colossians again for a number of months. We come now to hear this is, in a sense, an application of Paul. He started this letter with a prayer that really informed the letter itself. You might remember he began by praying... That we would be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of Christ, fully pleasing to him. So that's his desire. So as he, he prays, he prays for these people that, that, that they would know God's will. And there would be a people therefore of spiritual wisdom and understanding. We talk about spiritual wisdom, it isn't ooky spooky stuff. It's wisdom that comes from God, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the reason that he desires that they that we have that knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding is, is so that we can live in a particular way. And the particular way that he desires for us to live is that we would live worthy of Christ. That is that we would reflect him. We would honor him. He's he's our savior. He is the Lord. Uh, We're to be conformed to his image. So everything that we do is to, to reflect him. So that's his prayer that we live, that we walk worthy of Christ. That means that we would live fully pleasing to him and so he's worked his way through all of that telling us who Christ is and then how it is that we can do that in a sense and now he's coming to to provide application and he's providing application in various kinds of relationships in that culture with slaves and masters we'll talk about in terms of of employees and employers and how we relate together in work and and he talks about children and parents and, and now these first two the first relationship is in the context of marriage husbands and wives and we remember from last Sunday, as we kind of made our first pass by this, that uh, this is part of a, a larger teaching, really, from Ephesians chapter 5. And there we noted a number of things. One is that the reason for the submission of the wife is that the husband is the head. You remember in Ephesians 5, the apostle says that, uh, that, that as Christ is the head of the church, so husband is the head of his wife. That word head has a sense with it of authority and leadership. And we know that the way that Jesus practices or exercises that authority and leadership in the context of the church, which is called his bride, is that he gives himself for the church. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll lay this out, uh, unpack this more next Sunday. But the sense that he gives himself as a, as a loving servant leader. And he therein is for the church, its intercessor, the very one who who, who stands for his bride, intercedes for his bride, meaning he provides and protects for her. And so that's this this place of Christ as head. Uh, You remember of Jesus, he said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that stands as this understanding of head over one's wife and, and stands as as the model, if you will, of the definition of a husband. And because of that headship, then, there is one that submits. The one who submits is the wife. That word submit means exactly what we think it does. It means to yield to the authority, the leadership of one's husband. A submit, sub means under mission, submission. A mission is one is, is 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 one who is sent, sent on a mission. And so to submit or to be in submission means to be under, to be sent under another. And thus the place of this of the of the wife, if you will. She's to submit to her husband. Now you remember last Sunday I won't go through all of this again, but just to lay this out so we see the context that <clears throat> We said that this relationship between husbands and wives of headship and submission uh, is, is, is bigger than just their marriage because this relationship is to reflect a mystery. Not the mystery that husbands are head and wives are to submit, but the mystery of the relationship between Christ and the church. So as husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, we're to see how it is that Christ has loved the church. And as wives submit to their husbands, as as the church submits to Christ, then people are to see how it is that the church submits to Christ. And so in the context of marriage, we not only have a relationship that's for the welfare and happiness of people, but we also have something, as in everything really, if we look closely, that declares the glory of God. It declares the glory of the love of Christ, and it declares the glory of how lovable Christ is. And so that's to be expressed in the context of marriage. That's what husbands and wives are ultimately doing. But we see that this relationship between husbands and wives, therefore, isn't cultural. It isn't just something that, that's true for a particular culture. It isn't something that was true in the culture of Paul's day. In fact, this wasn't true at all in Paul's day. If you would look at, 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 at how... The Jewish culture understood marriage, if you looked at how the Greek culture understood marriage, if you looked at how the Roman culture understood marriage didn 't understand marriage at all like this. This was completely outside of the cultural um, um, conditions of of the apostles day, um, because you see this is grounded not in any particular culture, but it 's grounded in creation it 's exactly what how God had laid out for husbands and wives to relate to one another. Back in the Garden of Eden. And this didn't come about because of sin. This all was laid out before Adam and Eve sinned. Now, the sin of Adam and Eve perverts the relationship between husbands and wives as it perverts all relationships because it creates selfish, prideful, self-seeking people. That's this sense of sin. But Christ has come to redeem the relationship, so we should understand this idea of headship, we should understand this idea of submission in context of the work of Christ and how He works in us to be able to live in harmony, live in peace, and the context of a marriage relationship to be able for husbands and wives to live in such a way as to reflect the glory of God, the glory of Christ and all that He is and all that He has done, again, through in the context the context of marriage. Because what we see because of sin is that husbands, rather than being had their wife in a selfless, loving, servant kind of way to give for the well being of their wife, we find husbands selfishly then ruling over their wives in such a way that it would lead to their own peculiar benefit. Or perhaps selfishly abdicating that responsibility altogether. We find wives, rather than joyfully, lovingly, respectfully submitting to their husbands, uh, rather than that, trying to take his position and actually being the one to rule over the husband, to rule over the family, whether that's overtly or through some way of manipulation. We see that because of sin. Christ has come to redeem that and so that's what the apostle is talking about because we realize that each time marriage comes up in the New Testament, there isn't anything, any appeal to culture. There isn't any uh, appeal to what's happened because of sin. Rather, there's this appeal to husbands and wives or to relate to one another. Ephesians five speaks of wives submitting to husbands' head; husbands being head uh, in the context of that marriage relationship. We find the same really here in Colossians in chapter three. We find it also in Titus in chapter two, as as Paul writes to Titus. Listen to this: uh, Titus chapter two, uh, verse verse one. But as for you. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Excuse me. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, working at home, kind. And submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so there we have it again. Wives are brought up, so is this idea of submissiveness. And then in 1 Peter, and chapter 3, Peter speaks to marriage relationships as well. Now he includes not only wife, Christian wives being married to Christian husbands, but Christian wives being married to unbelieving husbands notice how Peter puts it 1st Peter chapter 3 he writes likewise wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct do not let your adoring be external the braiding of hair the wearing of gold the putting on of clothing but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's Lord with a little L, not a big one. And you are her, cho- you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, this sense of headship of submission. Now again, as we mentioned before, this headship submission is not rooted at all in any inferiority of of women or superiority of men. In fact, we find men and women, husbands and wives, both to be created in the image of God. That's what the scripture tells us. We read, for instance, as as Paul writes about those who are believers, uh, using the expression, those in Christ, he puts it like this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the distinction about spiritual Position, how it is that we relate to God, isn't related at all on maleness or femaleness. It's not related at all upon position in the culture. Uh, God shows no partiality uh, on any of those points. It's all his work in us and we each respond to him. In fact, Peter speaks of husbands and wives and he says, likewise, husbands live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life they're heirs with you of the grace of life and so women, wives, share in the same spiritual blessing grow in spiritual maturity and understanding uh, just as their husbands they are co-heirs with you of, of this grace that God gives this, this grace of life in fact, there is a oneness of husbands and wives so much so that neither husband nor wife ever thinks or should think again of me but should only think of we it's now two together there is no unilateral decision making there's no unilateral understanding even of life it's not just I'm thinking this and telling it to you or I'm deciding this and putting it upon you there is this oneness of husband and wife together in life the scripture says that a man should leave his father and mother be united to his wife the two should become one flesh of sharing life together. This this oneness is so complete that neither husband nor wife no longer owns his or her own body. Notice how Paul puts it interestingly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships Sexual relations with a woman. we could put parenthetically who isn't his wife. As you'll see in a minute. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Here's the point, verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise... The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Isn't that interesting? That the oneness is such that we no longer own ourselves. Now we know we've been bought with a price by the Lord Jesus, of course. We both, husband and wife, male female, everybody belongs to him, belongs to him. He's bought us. But now you realize in this oneness of husband and wife, they belong to each other to such a point that they... No longer each own, if you will, their own body. It's that kind of oneness. So the question is, if there's all this equality and oneness, how is it that one is commanded to submit to the other? If there's all this, why is one commanded to submit to the other? Now, on the one hand, we can say, we sort of do it all the time. I mean, human beings submit to one another all the time. In fact, there's command for human beings to submit to one another all the time. We're to submit to civil authorities, for instance. We're to submit to leaders in the church, the author of Hebrews tells us. We we find that relationship in one sense among equals all the time. Um, The President of the United States is a man. I'm a man. But yet, because of the position God has put him in, I submit in a very real way to him. Uh, equal on one sense, yet I submit in another way. Elders in the church are just men, yet Scripture says that the church is to submit to leaders, and thus we find that to be true. Equals, human being to human being, but yet this place of submission as well. But but the real point, as we've been stressing so far this morning in the context of our worship, I trust you've picked it up is the fact that there is headship and submission even in God. And we've been created in his image. And thus we have father and son. And even in the context of the titles father and son, you get some sense in which, which in, the, in the, the direction of the submission. It is the son who submits to the father. Now we know that they're equal. That is that the Father and Son are God we we look at the Lord Jesus we read about him in the course of scripture we say that's God he's eternal he said before Abraham was I am we see his power we see his goodness we see his righteousness we see his wisdom we see all that he brings as judge as creator as the light of the world as the bread of life the one who holds power over death we see that in Jesus he's he's God but yet he submits to the Father and and notice how the scripture lays that out for instance in Ephesians in chapter 1 the apostle puts it like this he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms even as he, now that would be the Father, that particular program uh, pronoun, even as he chose us in him, the in him would be Jesus, before the foundations of the world. So what you have here is Paul laying out that it was the Father's plan and the Father's work to place us in Christ. He was the head there. And Jesus received that Place from him. In fact, as Jesus lays out his own life, for instance, in, in, in John uh, chapter 3, Jesus speaks of the fact, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we see that, that it was the Father who gave, and Jesus who was sent. And in, in, in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, verse 34, Jesus lays out his life like this, and he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. And so we see Jesus as one sent. We see Jesus as this one who's submitting to his Father. Equal, yes, God worshipped both. Yet, Jesus said, I I come to do his work, his will. And that's my very life. Then if we flip over in chapter 5, in verse 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. We move our way down the page to verse 30. And Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. Then verse 36, and Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so, so he comes by the Father's bidding, if you will. And he says, And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom He has, whom he has sent. And we see then in chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus puts it like this. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. It's a submission To the Father. There's a mission. He's been sent. He's been sent under the authority and by the word of his Father. In chapter 7 and verse 16, Jesus said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then in chapter 8 and verse uh, 28, uh, Jesus says, "Uh, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but but I speak just as the Father. Taught me. Then in verse 50 of chapter 8, Jesus said, I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and, he, and he's the judge. But Jesus doesn't seek his own glory. He seeks, in fact, the glory of his Father. And then finally in chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus said, For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Then we opened our worship service this morning with this call to worship from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. That is, he was equal to God. He was God. And yet he submitted. He didn't regard that something to be grasped. He didn't grab that right that was his to glory as one who is God. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself in submission to his father by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One author has put it like this. He said, Thus, Jesus showed that there is no shame in a subordinate place. The orders of mankind originate in the Creator Himself. If our Lord can submit to the Father without losing any dignity or value, then wives can submit to their husbands while they have equal knowledge, holiness, and worth. It isn't degrading. To submit, if it was, it would have been degrading for Jesus to submit. But it wasn't degrading. It was his glory. It was his honor to submit to his Father. In fact, the word helper, Eve, was made to be Adam's helper. The the word helper is not a bad word. It's, It's an honorable word. In fact, it's used of God. He is our help and strength. Never present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. See, God is our helper. It's used of Him. Same Hebrew word used of Eve to help Adam. She comes in the image of God, and the image of Jesus submits. Now, for those of you who know the scriptures, you're saying, "But wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" The scripture tells us that we have mutual submission, one to another. For instance. If Ephesians chapter 5 puts it like this the apostle says the giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ then verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ doesn't that mean then that there's a sense of mutual submission and shouldn't that trump the submission of wives to husbands shouldn't it also mean then that husbands should submit to their wives well in one sense there could be said that there is mutual submission in the sense that we are all to serve one another we're all to consider the interests of the other more so than ourselves that's what Philippians 2 tells us as we began that passage earlier Uh, we can do that because we're humble in Christ meaning we know who we are in the presence of God we've seen our own merits in the presence of God, and we're not too impressed. And so we realize we're not really better than anyone, so we can serve one another. We come in meekness because we trust God that he will protect and provide for us. So we can lay aside our rights if it's of value to serving and helping another. In that sense, we lay ourselves before each other in submission. But when the Bible uses the word submit, it never uses it in the context of mutual. In fact, you can read the Greek, Greek literature of the day of Paul and the word submit is only used in relationship to an authority. Saying that we're to submit to one another is sort of like telling everyone to stand and turn around and greet the person behind you. When you do that, you're just looking at Well, let's say the back of everybody's heads. Mutual submission means no, I'm sorry, I'll help you, no, I'll help you, no, I'll help you, no, I'll do that for you. No Well that's great, but it doesn't get anything done. And Paul has all kinds of words available to tell us to be nice to each other and consider one another. When he uses the word submit in scripture, it's always used in the context of submitting to an authority. So you say, well then what does Paul mean when he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, he goes on to tell us what he means by that in the very next sentence in Ephesians 5. He says, what I mean by that is that when you're in a position to be submissive, be submissive. When there's an authority, be submissive. That's how you're to live. So wives, be submissive to husbands. Never in Scripture do we have husbands be submissive to wives. Children, obey your parents. Never do we have a situation children take note of this. Where our parents submit to the child where parents submit to the children. Now they should be nice to you and all that kind of thing and think about you and be considerate. But when it comes to submission, it doesn't go that way. And then slaves submit to masters or employees submit to your bosses, that kind of thing. There's this sense that's established like that. So so Paul lays that out. He says, I want to, to explain that to you. So again, there is this sense where it's established in the context of marriage. Wives, be submissive, dear husbands. What does that mean? Well, I think of this. That... Submission of wife to husband is a disposition of mind, a disposition of her attitude where she desires in grateful obedience to Christ to joyfully honor and affirm her husband's authority and leadership. Let me read that again. That submission of of wife to husband is is a disposition, an attitude of the heart where the wife desires... In grateful obedience to Christ, to joyfully honor and affirm her husband's authority and leadership. And I say it's a disposition of heart. It's an attitude of heart. It's a desire. It doesn't mean that she's always going to be able to do that. There may be some occasions where a wife cannot submit to her husband. But she wakes up in the morning knowing she's a wife thinking, what I desire to do today is to have opportunity to submit to my husband. To honor him and to affirm his authority, where God has placed him in my life, and to affirm that. So it's a dis- disposition of heart. And I also also put that it's it's out of, it's in grateful obedience to Christ. That is, it's out of obedience to Christ. Okay, He said it, therefore, I must. But it's it's in grateful. It isn't gritting one's teeth obedience. It isn't like this is a bad idea, Jesus. But okay. <laughs> It's that you're my creator, you've established marriage, therefore you define who I am. And as wife, you're defining me as one who's submissive to my husband. So I'll worship you for that. I'm grateful, I'm happy, I'm grateful that that's the place you've put me in. And to joyfully honor and affirm her husband's authority and leadership in her life it's a joyful thing not again a begrudging thing when we live in a way that isn't joyful we tell the world that God is not glorious we tell the world that he is not really worth serving oh we'll put in our time because we think heaven's going to be really cool but right now The way he has us live isn't so hot. And so we're to be joyful in all of that. Now again, this doesn't mean that there's inferiority of a wife anymore that Jesus was inferior to the father. No, there's this equality. It isn't that she she doesn't have the intellect in order to to really be the head. It isn't that at all. She has as much intellect. It isn't that she can't grow spiritually as, as much as her husband. That's ridiculous as well. Paul assumes that women mature spiritually, that wives mature spiritually, just as men and husbands do. And we know that because he addresses wives in the scripture. He doesn't write, husbands, tell your wives to be submissive to you. He says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. What does that mean? It means that he's expecting that they're listening. He's expecting that they're there when this letter is read. He's expecting that they're going to read it when they have opportunity to read it. That they're going to think about it, ponder it. It's a direct command to them. It isn't that it must go through their husbands in some sort of convoluted way to get to them. No, he says, this is what your life is to be. And so he lays it out like that. In fact, as we read... The classic woman, Proverbs 31. We stand utterly amazed at this woman, no doubt who is one, who understands this submissiveness. Verse 10, Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. Think about that. So, wife, you're to live in such a way that your husband grows. Trust is something that's earned. Your tr- husband grows to rely upon you, to trust you. I have a little expression I've stolen from some dead guy that I use in a prayer that I always pray at a wedding. And I pray for the husband, that, or the wife, that her husband may reverence at the shrine of her heart I, I could never come up with that but this sense of, of 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 reverence, of trust, of relying upon yes, I need her she's in a place in my life that I, I she is my helper I need her there, I trust her I rely upon her, why? because she's wise she knows things I don't know. She sees things. I, I, I can't see. You know, I've said many times, as others have had, that if the husband is, is the head, the wife is the neck. Right? That, that, that she's the one who takes the husband's head, if you will, respectfully, submissively, kindly. A whiplash involved here. Generally. Less, less we need it. Less it's a quick one, you know. Oh, cut it. Uh, then the other men in the church give chiropractic care at the next men's Bible study. Oh, yeah, I know that hurts, doesn't it? Um, but to see, you see, because she's been given to him as as helper. The wise man knows that. And takes complete advantage of it. Notice what it says. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. He's no fool, you see. He understands, oh, if I listen to her, I've listened to her before. And it's helped me. I've gained from that. And so that's, this, this woman is a thoughtful, considerate, wise, spiritually mature woman who is able to offer to her husband help. In all kinds of areas that he might not see, and only a foolish man doesn't take it. You lay out all then what she does in her life. She's this prototypical woman has it figured out. She knows how to, how to arrange life in such a way that she helps her family continuously. I love this expression in verse twenty-one. She's not afraid of snow. <laughs> Oh, all the things that could be said. Well, why isn't she afraid of snow? Well, because she's packed up. She knows stuff. She's got food. Everything's ready. She's thought about that too. And the husband's walking around, going, "Oh no, it might snow." She says, "That'll be that'll be okay. Really, we've got Oreos and milk. You know, all the things that you really need in there. It's good. It's good. Got blankets. We'll be okay. You can pack in. That's good." Her husband. I might skip that one. Okay. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders in the land because she is able to free him to go and to do all that God has called him to do. And this one happens to be an elder sitting at the gates. And so his wife, you see, uh, is so wise and good that she handles all of that in such a way that somehow he's known out there where God has called him to be. She opens her mouth with, with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. You see... This submission ends up like Jesus being her glory. Jesus' submission to the Father ultimately was his exaltation. The wife's submission to husband is ultimately the word of blessing that comes from others to her. Not that she's done it for all of that, but but that's the end result. You get a sense that she's sitting around surprised. What did you say? Oh, really? Well, thank you. And so... All of that. So again, there isn't this inferiority of intellect or position or spiritual maturity of any, or, or any of that. It, it's not that the wife is a bellhop who's just sitting around empty-headed, waiting for her husband to come and tell her the tasks of the day so she can get on with it and, and to respond to his bell. No, she's proactive. She's thinking. In fact, if it's working the way that it should, she, she, she knows before he does. What it is that needs to be done around here. What it needs to be done in the context of, of family and nurturing and all of that. She's thinking that through. And, and, and so it's, it's happening. He isn't having to do all of that. To think through all of that. And of course we know this isn't an absolute submission. We've said this before but it's important to, to really nail down. The only absolute submission any of us has is to God. And so it's interesting that Peter who was the very one who defied the civil authorities and religious authorities by, when they told him he couldn't speak in the name of Jesus, he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to continue to speak in the name of Jesus, still tells us that we should be submissive to civil authorities in his first epistle, and till, still tells wives to be submissive to husbands. So he knows it isn't absolute. He knows there may be things that husbands will come to a wife and say, um, the, and, and she'll, have to, she'll have to say, no, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do that. It may be in First Peter chapter 3, this woman's a Christian and her husband's not a Christian. If he comes to her and says, I'm compelling you, I'm commanding you not to believe in Jesus, she would say respectfully, I'm sorry, I must believe in him. Oh, she might live her life in such a way that her faith in Jesus isn't so obnoxious to him in some way, But but but, but, but still she would continue to believe he might come to her and say don't teach the children about Jesus and she would say I'm sorry I'm compelled to teach the children about Jesus how can I not No, she may devise a plan to do that in such a way that, that it isn't right in his face but still she would not cease to teach the children about Jesus he may come to her and say I want you to lie for me she said no to steal from me she said no to be in, involved in some sort of sexual perversion he would say no she would say no to receive abuse at his hand she would say no I'm to live a pure life, a morally pure life before you and before God. And if you ask me to participate in this and I participate in this, then it isn't that. So no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to submit at that point. Respectfully so, I'm sorry. It's with tears. I, I wish I could. My, the honor of my life is to, is, to, is to wake up in the morning with a great desire to submit to you, to serve you, to help you. But, but I can't do that. So it isn't an absolute submission. So submission is unto Christ. As Christ submitted to his father, as the church submits to Christ, she is to submit to her husband. And you see, this woman then needn't fear anything. First Peter 3, notice this. Verse 6, says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Don't get too hung up on that. I don't have time for that. Um, And you are her children. If you do good, And do not fear anything that is frightening. That's an interesting expression because what else would you fear (laughs) other than something frightening? I guess we fear things that needn't be frightening. But it could be frightening, it seems to me, because I'm in positions where I'm submissive to authority in certain places. And that can be frightening to me because I think that my life as it sits here And my success, if you will, and my happiness is now submitted (laughs) to them. And what if I don't trust them? But Peter says you don't have to be afraid in this place. Why? Because he's already said, verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves. Because your hope isn't in your husband, your hope isn't in his decisions, your hope isn't in all of that, your hope is in God. And so you're trusting as you follow after Christ, as you hope in him, you're trusting in God for your future. You're trusting in God for your children, you're trusting in God for your happiness, you're trusting in God for your welfare. He's going to work through this husband, but you're trusting that in the midst of your obedience to Christ in a biblical, godly way, that you really have nothing to fear. Trust, hope in God, not your husband as a godly woman once put it to me. If my husband goes down the tubes, I guess I'll go down the tubes with him because my hope is in God. Yes. Now, how does a woman get to this place? Well, the apostle says... It's by living worthy of Christ that is to set your mind, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, to set your mind's wives upon Christ where he's seated seated in authority, that your eyes are upon him. And then you're to live in such a way that you take off everything that's inconsistent with him like sexual immorality and anger and malice and slander. Take it off. And then you're to put on Christ. Most especially you to put on compassion and kindness, to be compassionate towards your husband and realize that, that, that he doesn 't have all the best position either, necessarily, to love as Christ has loved the church, to lead in a world like this with all that can go wrong, to take a measure of authority in the context of family, to be responsible before God. Uh, you know most men, I have this sense that when I die and meet the Lord, he 's going to ask me about my wife and my children. In my church, there's things for which he's given responsibility. And that's what I'm going to be called accountable to. Be compassionate to your husband. Realize it isn't easy. Be kind. Desire to do those things which are kind, which help him in the calling to which God has given him to love you and to love the family and to to be head and to be responsible and all of that, to to love him, to be kind in that sense, to put on humility and meekness, to to see yourself in the presence of God and look at your own merits and realize that you're not smarter than your husband, although it may seem like that at times, that that you're not better than he is. (sighs) To be meek, to set aside your own rights for his well-being. Of course, any of that doesn't mean you can't change your husband. Of course, this woman in First Peter 3 was a believer. He was an unbeliever. and She was to live in such a way, Peter says, so that you may win your husband. Wives, if you, if you find your husband with the wrong thoughts, respectfully, kindly help him to see the truth. If he's got wrong priorities, help him kindly to see the right priorities in a way that's respectful to him. To be meek, however, and humble. Most especially put on patience. Be patient with him. I always tell my wife when I had daughters that, pardon me, guys, for a moment here, probably one of the scariest people in the world are freshman boys um, who come to date your daughter because you look at them and you go, oh, no. <laughs> and, of course, your wife then pulls out the pictures of you when you were a freshman boy. <laughs> and I go, Oh no. And then I look at wedding pictures and I'm doing weddings and I'm looking at this guy going, You don't have a clue. <laughs> None of us had a clue. Women, be patient. We we do grow up. <laughs> it may not be so good <laughs> for a while, but, but we, we we can be taught. And, and, and be patient in the midst of, of this. Learn to submit in a way that's respectful and loving and praying, you see. Be patient. Bear with your husband. As a husband, I can tell you, there is great pressure. And I know as a wife there's great pressure. I'll get to that next week. But as a husband, there's great pressure to work and to provide and to be and all of that. Bear with him in the midst of this life and forgive him as Christ has forgiven you. That's how you do it, you see. Just like we do everything in the faith. We're compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient and we bear with each other and we forgive. We love, you see, that's what... The apostle says, and women, wives need to realize you will mostly learn this from other wives. Paul writes to Titus and he says this, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Husbands, you're not called to teach this to your wife. You're called to be a man who loves Christ and loves your wife so that when she hears of this, she'll say, Oh, of course. Why wouldn't I? You see, that's your job. Women, older to younger... That, of course, has gradations, you know. 30-year-olds to the 20-year-olds, 40-year-olds to the 30-year-olds. you are always both a younger and older woman, okay? Teach about this because there's some things that are way better seen than explained. There's some things that the more you talk about them, the more difficult they become to try to understand but as you have a model, you can see someone. If you can live this out, then it's much easier to pick up. And, and wives, remember this. You're always teaching your daughters how to love their husbands. No one in our culture will teach your daughters how to submit to their husbands everybody else other than us by us the church everybody else will be teaching the exact opposite thing to your daughters and the only way they're going to learn it probably is to see it from you as you have a disposition of heart, gratefully to Christ to obey him in affirming joyfully and submitting to your husband's leadership and authority as they see that. That's where this idea about training up your child in a way he or she would go, they won't depart from it. You see, if we train up our children because that becomes the natural course of life in the context of our families, it really does get so ingrained in them that it's very difficult to shake even if they want to even if they're taught differently, even if they describe their life differently than that, when you look at it, you'll find, oh, they're living this way, because that's all they really know. That's what they've been shown. Of course, that has all kinds of negative connotations too, if we do this badly. But we must teach. And it all comes, you see, all of this. comes because of of Christ, uh, in whose image we're being conformed, the submissive one, Jesus, who submits to his... His father, on behalf even of his, even though he's equal to the Father, he submits in humility so that we might have we might have, have life. You remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He was the very Son of God, the glorious one. he took bread. He gave it to his disciples. He said, "This is my body, which is given for you." And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle says, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of the cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what are we declaring? We could make a long list, but today, given our topic, what we declare is this, that Christ Jesus equal to the Father, submitted himself to the Father. And that was his glory. And thus, wives, submit to your husbands. That is your glory. That is your glory. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me and for us. That you would grant us grace to allow you to define us and help us to understand and walk in a way worthy of Christ please I pray take this bread, this juice and set it aside in such a way that will enable us to reflect upon Christ and know that he's present with us that he's here that wives could take great comfort Father in knowing that they're being called to something Jesus to which you were called husbands can Take comfort into knowing that husbands have been called to something that, to which Christ has been called the head to give himself. And we all can take great comfort to know, Jesus, that you are completely obedient in everything, to submit to be head, all of it, that we might be your bride, that we might have life. And so, Jesus, now come and bless us all by your presence. Give us great hope in God that everything to which we have been called, he will help us and it will be fulfilled. And it is God who has called us, surely he will bring it to pass. Take this bread and juice, use it in such a way that would provide for us great hope in God. Meet with us here, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.